Well, good morning. You guys can grab a seat. Um, so glad that you're um, with us and uh, you're joining us as we close out our teaching series on parable. Um, if you're not sure what a parable is, uh, we'll, um, we'll learn you a thing or two. And, uh, but in short, they're very familiar stories, but they have unfamiliar truths. Um, parables that we've been looking at um, have, have been uh, the parables of the wheat and the tares or weeds um, from Matthew. We've looked at a parable of uh, building a bigger barn, uh, even how some people think that that's kind of the goal in life to amass greater wealth and they never turn and worship God for his creation. Um, and then we looked uh, last week at two sons. The first son uh, did not want to obey his father, but eventually he did. And the second son said he would obey his father, but he never did. And as we've looked at those parables, we've, we've kind of tracked a few truths about them. The first is that often parables are about the kingdom and the king. Um, parables divide the crowd. There's going to be some people who get it. There's going to be some people who don't get it. And then there's even going to be some people who get it, but don't care that they got it. Um, and then the last thing that we looked at uh, is parables are not sweet stories, um, but they actually are, are stories that lead to staggering decisions. They're meant to change your life. In fact, that's one of the um, ways that even parables should be read. Um, oftentimes we kind of will just blow through three or four parables as we read the Bible, or we'll just read and keep going. But every time you read a parable, you should just stop and make that your quiet time. Make that what you meditate on for the rest of the day. Because at the end of that parable, there's a truth that God wants to communicate to you that's going to lead to a decision. And oftentimes that decision is going to really challenge you in your heart, really challenge you mentally. It's going to challenge you to follow the king. And so that's a great way to read scripture. When you, when you come across a, a parable, just stop and say, all right, I just want to get this parable. I really want to get what is the decision that Jesus Christ is asking of me. So uh, this morning, we're going to look at the parable of the wedding feast. Um, I know uh, at Awaken, uh, we've had a bunch of couples getting married the last couple of years. It's been really cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at least two of them. All right. Expecting a little bit more of like a woo-hoo, uh, especially from you guys, but that's okay. Um, so Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14 is where we're going to turn to this morning. Matthew 22, uh, 1 through 14. So if you have, um, you know, old school Word of God or a new school uh, Word of God, um, flip over there. And uh, we're just going to read the parable um, and uh, just in its entirety, just so you guys can get the fullness the story. Uh, and then after we read the parable, we're going to um, look at some of the context around that parable. H how do we locate it in the text? How do we make sense of what's going on? Then we're going to actually look at the content of the parable. And then last, we're going to look to Christ. Uh, so let's read Matthew 22, 1 through 14. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent out his slaves to summon those invited to the banquet, but they didn't want to come. Again, he sent out other slaves and said, tell those who were invited, look, I prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. 
But they paid no attention and went away, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the other seized his slaves, treated them outrageously, and killed them. The king was enraged, so he sent out his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned down their city. Then he told his slaves, the banquet is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, therefore, go to where the roads exit the city and invite everyone you find to the banquet. So those slaves went out on the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. The wedding banquet was filled with guests. But when the king came in to view the guest, he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. So he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him up hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. The word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. So this is our parable that we are going to uh, orient ourselves to this morning. As I uh, um, shared, it's in Matthew, but there's also uh, kind of the, the sister story is found in Luke. But the, the, the second parable in Luke is actually a little shorter. It doesn't have the bonus content at the end. Kind of where the king comes in, looks over the banquet, sees someone who's not dressed in the appropriate attire. And we'll unpack that and explain that. But that's the bonus content found only in Matthew. It's kind of like, um, you know, watching your favorite DVD. And there's like the theatrical release. But then there's like the extended edition, okay? That's kind of what's going on. And, and sometimes scholars or critics of the faith will say, see, it's a different story, different, different story. Um, the Bible's not reliable. Uh, um, it should be the exact same story. And I, I just think that's silly because those are the same people who give Academy Award winners for directors for changing the point of view. Does that make sense? I mean, we give awards to directors and authors who make us see stories from different characters' angles, from different lenses, from a different point of view, and the Bible says it, and they're like, no, it doesn't exist. It's a double standard, and how beautiful and rich it is to have a story and to have a composite view, to have multiple angles, multiple lenses from where to look at the story. New truths are gleaned. We're able to learn more about the king and his kingdom. And so sometimes that might happen to you as you read the Bible. It's like, hey, the story's told differently in another gospel. That's okay. It's richer, more fuller. You'll learn different things. And that's God's precise intent. And so it's okay that stories are told differently. That's actually a mark of authenticity and truth, not a mark of lying or covering things up. So that's just a, a note for you guys to have. Um, so the parable of the wedding feast, it, uh, it's this third parable in a series of parables. Jesus has entered into Jerusalem. Um, he's king, and he goes deep into the Old Testament. See, most parables aren't just like cool stories. They actually have like an anchor point. And the anchor point for Jesus in the Old Testament in telling this is the Jews believe that when the Messiah came, they believed that there would be this feast 
the wealth of Israel and the king returning would make all of God's people wealthy and rich, and there'd be unending feasting. Now, again, this is the ancient world, and feasting was a big deal. So banquets, wedding feasts were an exciting thing. Those are things that you wanted to go. And so Matthew is kind of touching this, this hope, this primal hope of like an unending party when everything's, are per- when everything's perfect. Now, I, I think that um, we have that kind of hope sometimes, right? Don't we want to just sometimes just sit back and chill and relax and feast and have fun because everything's going right? I don't know about you guys, but I mean, isn't that what like a typical vacation, dream vacation is for you? I finally get to relax. I finally get to, to hang out. I know some of you guys are like, no, I'd rather be hiking somewhere. That's okay. Just wait till you have children. Um, <laughs> right? I just love to just relax and feast and enjoy and oh, that would be so good. We have the same need in our culture. And so Jesus is tapping into this cultural truth, this, this hope that people have. Um, it's also, as we learn this confrontation, you see the religious rulers at the time, who are the audience of this parable, they, they don't really like Jesus. He's kind of more popular, has a little bit more power than they do at the time with the people. And every time Jesus is starting to give these parables, again, it's the last week of his life, he's creating something after the parable. He's creating an effect after the parable. And as you read through Matthew, as you read through the other gospels, the effect is the same. The rulers and the leaders and the authorities have all these questions at Jesus. They're trying to trip him up in the law. They're trying to make him prove that he's not the Messiah, to, to, to catch him in, in some kind of falsehood, some kind of lie, they actually become silenced. They're speechless. Our best questions he has answers for, and the answers he has are correct. They're completely exposed. So their rulers, their responses to these parables are astonished, they're amazed, and then their third The third A that they have, astonishment, amazement, is they want to arrest Jesus. They want to stop this figure from taking control of the hearts and minds of the people. And so this is some of our context. So let's jump right into the content of the wedding feast, verses 1 through 4. Um, I love that the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. Um, now, again, as I shared earlier, there's been a lot of weddings here recently at, at Awaken in the last year or two. Um, there's been some really great wedding parties. They're awesome. There's feasting and dancing. It's a big deal. It's fun. And just like it is for us now, in the ancient world, it was fun. It was a break. And so Jesus is setting the stage. There's going to be this great party, this great festival. We have like one-day parties. In the ancient world, they had like seven-day parties. That was like a typical wedding feast was seven days. So, I mean, some of you parents are like, whew, I can't plan seven days of parties. But it was seven days of feasting and partying and relaxation. You're celebrating. 
So this is kind of what the, the scene is. And so slaves are sent out to um, remind people that this feast is, is happening. And um, I think that everybody's excited at this point, but the parable says this, but they didn't want to come. In the ancient world, this was like mic drop. What? People don't want to come to the party? What, what do you mean people don't want to come to the party, to, to free food, to dancing, to wine, to friendships? The party's paid for. They don't want to come? So it's confusing. Um, then the king gives commands to his slaves. Gives them commands that says, tell Tell the people who are invited, come and see. The feast is ready. Um, I, I almost, I should have, I, I should have just put the uh, picture up of, um, my wife's a really big Harry Potter fan. Um, I'm not so much, but she gives me grace. Um, in Hogwarts, right, this like banqueting table that the kids are so excited about to feast on. I mean, for you guys, think about like a Brazilian steakhouse. It's ready for you guys to walk in, and someone else has already picked up the tab. A lot of you guys are like, I'm there. <laughs> like, I'm going there. I'm ready. I'm ready to do some serious damage to my intestines. <laughs> You're ready. You can't wait. It's going to be delicious. But the king's guests refused those commands of see and come. Man, um, what's really interesting and fascinating is at this time, all these religious leaders, these sages, um, they had these writings that said, you know what, for a, a feast to be really special, it had to have two invitations. So this parable is actually perfectly lining up for the audience being religious leaders. Jesus is checking the boxes as he writes the story. The religious leaders are, all right, there's two invitations. These people should be coming. What's wrong? Um, don't we have that today in our culture? I know like my fridge has got full of like save the dates, you know, cute pictures of couples like, oh yeah, I'm going to save that date. Um, and then a couple months later we get like the full embossed, sealed, luxurious hoity-toity invitation. That's the same thing going on in this story. Jesus is saying, hey, save the date. Party's coming. It's going to be awesome. And then, hey, here's the, here's the rich, lavish invitation. It's been given to you. But people still don't want to come. I think one thing that is powerful as well, that the end of verse 4, all is made ready. It says that the king has already killed his, his, his cattle and his fattened oxen, which means the sacrifice has already been made. The sacrifice has already been made for the feast. Just put, put that in your brain for a minute. So we're verses five through seven. These people are invited. The people who got to save the date and the nice invitation don't come. And um, we're given reasons why they don't come. Um, it says that there's two types of responders. There's two types of people 
who are, have gotten these invitations, and this is their response. The first is neglect. The Greek text, it's actually a really weird verb. They neglected the invites and went away. I mean, they didn't even bother to put it in their iPhone calendar as like a maybe. They didn't click Facebook maybe. They just went away. And here's what's interesting is they went away to two things. Scripture tells us they went away to two things. The first thing they went away to was their farms and their fields. In the ancient world, it was primarily two types of, um, there's two types of uh, economies. There's your agrarian and there was your commercial. So people went away to their own farms, their own land, their own fields to presumably work in those fields. Doesn't that sound like absolute drudgery? I'm going to go work more and miss the party. We're tapping into our culture with this parable. We have adults who don't even take their full vacation days in our culture. People would rather work than feast. Then the second type of person, it says that someone would go to their merchandise and goods. The word there is they would rather go to their emporium. We have lots of emporiums here in our, in our culture. Some really cool ones that we like to go to are, you know, Best Buy, Target, all these emporiums that we can go to and buy goods that occupy our time. And we neglect to go to the feast. The second type of responders are actually the, the type who, they know they should have been there, but they're angry. They're angry. They would rather be left in peace. And so what do they do? They take these servants that came and they mistreat them. The, the biblical text says they actually lay their hands upon them. Now, in the ancient world, you laid your hands on, on messengers. There's reasons to start a war. So they laid their hands on messengers. They beat them up. And some of them they even killed. And so they killed them. See, one thing that's interesting about parables, see, we talked about parables, talk about the king and the kingdom. And we've been looking at, you know, the people invited the party. We've been looking at their types of responses, but we've, we've forgotten something. And we've forgotten something that the, the people who were invited to the party forgot as well. In parables, the action is always going to center on the king. They forgot the king. They forgot who they were getting the invitation from. And this is the king's action. He becomes angry. He sends troops. And he destroys the killers of his slaves. And then he burns down their city. He raises it. He levels it to the ground. I think sometimes like, oh, that, that's kind of harsh. Like, that's a little steep. Um, How would we feel if, if we sent out friends and even our children as messengers and someone killed them? The king's anger is fierce and real and mighty and powerful. And so he 
destroys and burns down. What does he burns down? He burns down the farms and the fields, and he burns down the emporium, the trades and the consumer goods of these people who are going to neglect and violently oppose him. Um, it's kind of like a mini description of what happens in the Old Testament about 18 times. <laughs> that God is the righteous king is going to send judgment for people and on people who ignore him, who sin against him. And so we're going deeper into the parable. Let's keep reading verses 8 to 10. And this is what, what is just incredibly beautiful about this. Because right now you have this feast, but no one's coming. I mean, that'd be a horrible thing if you're getting married. You send out your savior dates. You send out all your invitations. And you and your bride are up there. The king's there. And no one's there. It's sad. It's depressing. But again, the action centers on the king. So what does he do? He gathers his slaves back together. And he sends them back out to invite people that were never given the first invitation, that were never given the second invitation. And so here's what's really cool about this. The mission is still on. The wedding feast is still happening. It's going to be grand. The son's wedding feast is still a go. Guess what? The slaves are still faithful. They're still going to go. And then I love the king. He explains to the slaves what, what had happened was. That the guests who were invited were unworthy to come. They were unworthy to come. So the king commands these slaves again to go and call as many as you've Fine, And then the text says that they're to go to the roads that exit the city. Um, presumably, this is the city that just burned down as well. But in the ancient world, when you talk about the roads that exit the city, you're talking about the boundaries, the furthest boundaries of the city or the furthest boundary of the nations. And so he tells his slaves to go to the boundaries of the nations to the roads that exit the city. So you're going to get a lot of foreigners. You're going to get a lot of people who maybe don't know all the customs and ways of the king. You're also going to get a lot of poor people. Oftentimes poor people and the homeless would sit at city gates. You're also going to get a lot of people fleeing the city that has just burned down. And the king says, go to the mall. I don't care if they got an invitation or not. Have them come and feast at my son's banquet. And so it says that the slaves, they gathered both evil and good people. The slaves didn't really care where you were coming from. They didn't care if you rejected the invitation and you were fleeing. They didn't care if you'd never heard of it and wanted to come to the banquet. They gathered all they found who would respond to the call. The slaves were faithful. It's a play on words as well to the religious leaders because the word synagogue in Greek means gather. And so Jesus is saying this. He's 
saying these slaves are gathering all sorts of people, whether they're good or they're bad, that would mess with a religious leader's worldview, a religious leader's category of people, because you see, people had to be good to be accepted by God. That was, that was their way of thinking. You've got to be good. You've got to follow the law. You've got to be polished, presentable, have your life in order, in order for God to accept you and be good. That's how you get invited to the feast. You're good already. You see, if you were poor or lame or unclean, or if your life was falling apart, things were messy, that meant you were unclean and you weren't following God's law and so he was punishing you for something. That's not the case. I think that's a, a rich truth that might already hit us in our hearts. You don't have to have your life together for God to love you and for you to come to his feast. In fact, the people who think they have to do that, guess what? They're going to be the ones who are going to ultimately neglect God because they're like, I got to work in my field. I got to work on my merchandise. I got to have my life together. Let's read the last couple verses. Um, and this is the bonus content, right? This is the content unique to Matthew. Um, this is the extended cut, director's cut. The action always centers on the king. And so this feast is happening. And I love that, the, the close of verse 13, the, the feast was full. The son's feast was full. And the king comes in and he, he looks over the crowd. He looks over the feasting. His gaze is on the people there. And as his gaze is on the people there, he sees something that, that kind of doesn't stand out, that, that kind of is not right. It stands out. And that was there was this, a guest whose, whose garments, whose threads weren't, weren't right. They were maybe dirty, um, sloppy. Um, maybe they had some smoke on them. I, I, I don't know what the garments looked like. It just says that they weren't, they weren't right. Something was wrong about them. Um, and so the king comes up and with a loving question, he says, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? How did you get in here without wedding clothes? Um, just to give us a, a picture of the, the practice in the ancient world if you would come to a feast, if you come to this three-day, seven-day celebration, typically the host would do a couple things for you before you even got to the party. As soon as you arrived at his residence, at his palace, he'd do a couple things for you. Number one, he'd wash your feet um, because you'd probably walked several miles. Your feet probably got a little stank. There might have been... Uh, kind of uh, some donkey dew that you almost stepped in, like might have been some puddles. There might have been something in the road that just was like, ooh. Then he would have given you oil, fragrant oil. If you're a dude, you got some oil on that beard, a little oil in your hair. If you're a lady, oil in the hair. You smelled fragrant. 
ready to feast for a while. No one likes to feast with someone who's got some B.O. The king knows that, and he's taking care of it. Then you would have been given a garment. You'd have exchanged your dusty, travel-worn cloak for something that was colorful, bright, clean. I know we all like the smell of that new laundry, right? It would have been a nice, freshly pressed, maybe even ironed garment that you would have put on. Then you were ready for feasting. And the king did this to show his own wealth and love. And you put on the garment. You allowed your feet to be washed. You put beard oil in your beard and your hair to honor the king and respect the king. And here's a man who he hasn't done that. So the question is, how do you get in the party? Certainly he wouldn't have come in through the, the gate. The servants were at the gate. That's where you came in and all those things happened. It means he somehow climbed the wall. He somehow found the back door in. He somehow snuck into the party and said, I'm here at the feast. He could have been even one who received an invitation, rejected it twice. And the man's response, when the king says, friend, how'd you get in here without clothes? He was speechless, speechless. Let's go back to what was the religious leader's response to Jesus Christ? They were speechless. They were speechless. They were in the presence of someone who knew God and who was obeying God. Not because of the law, but because of his heart. So the man's response was speechless. It echoes the religious leader's response and the king's action when the man was speechless. When the man had no defense, he threw him out. And he threw him out by tying up his hands and his feet so he would not allow to be able to, to dirty or solely anything else at the, fe at the feast. And he threw him out into outer darkness. It's Matthew's way of describing to us what the Old Testament talks about, this outer darkness, this place of hell. Jesus is not afraid to talk about it. And this is the second thing what Jesus does to these religious leaders. He enters into their world because see, religious leaders at the time thought that all people, everyone, all of Israel was gonna have a share in the inheritance to come. Everybody was gonna be at the banquet. And this parable says, no, some people will be thrown out of the banquet because they are not willing to honor the king by exchanging their garments for his. Let's go back to that word friend. That friend is used three times in Matthew. It's used in another parable. It's also used about Judas. When Judas comes to betray Jesus right before the trial and the cross, Jesus calls Judas friend. Jesus Christ is a friend to sinners. He's a friend even to those who will betray him. So let's turn and, and take this parable and, and look to Christ. 
We've looked at the context. We've looked at the content. The parable of the wedding feast, um, God is king. He reveals his authority and his action even though the son is off stage. We hear over and over again that it's the son's wedding feast, but the son is off stage. And it's being revealed in this parable that it's God's plan that is unfolding. God is the one directing the slaves. God is the one directing the action. And so do we see that the king is God? The slaves are obeying the commands of the king. The invited guests, they're the religious leaders. But you know what the other guests are? The other guests are the poor, the lonely, the destitute, the broken, the dregs, the unclean of society, the messy ones. They're the other guests. And not only that, the other guests are also people from other nations. They are the other guests. And the friends are all those who sneak into the feasting at the wedding without repentance, without exchanging their garments. Outer darkness is real and the destination of those who are unrepentant. Again, the audience for this is religious leaders. Can we not see the staggering decision that is unfolding? Jesus is saying to the religious leaders, accept the invitation. Don't harden your heart. It's an invitation to the insiders. It's a good thing to write down. The parable is an invitation to the insiders. Because you see what happens sometimes in churches, there's a lot of people who are insiders, but they don't really belong at the table because for whatever reason, they are still believing their garments are sufficient. And Jesus says to them, to the religious leaders, to us, come inside and feast. You've got to exchange your garments though. And so Jesus is doing three things. He's judging Israel for rejecting him. This parable is judging them. The second thing, he's telling Israel there's going to be this beautiful movement of all people, all nations, the poor, the dispossessed. Everybody is going to be gathered together in God's new church. And the third thing he's does, that he does is to show yourself that you're part of this new church, you've got to be wearing the clothing of the king. You've got to be wearing the clothing of the king. You can't sneak in. The last verse is challenging for us. For many are invited, but few are chosen. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Um, when we look at that, when we look at chosenness and even that, that scary word election sometimes that is brought up that relates to salvation, many people are invited, but few are chosen, few are elected. I think what's trying to, what Jesus is trying to do is this. Only an appropriate response to the gospel reveals those who are chosen. It's really important. Only an appropriate response to the gospel reveals those who are chosen or elected. And what is that appropriate response? Garments given to us by the king.
Um, Matthew will, will go on. He'll go on and share about the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he'll close with this beautiful passage called the Great Commission where he sends out his disciples. He sends out his slaves to the boundaries of the city, to the nations, to call all those who want to come to the son's wedding feast. You see, the son's wedding feast was the last supper. That was the mini one, the mini version. There's one to come at the end of all ages. It's talked about in Revelation 19, 6 through 10. And so where are we? What should we do? Well, our call, just like the slaves, is we're meant to reach the bad and the good. We're meant to tell people about the king's wedding feast. The king will determine what happens with them. But we're meant to reach the bad and the good. And the king will judge based on their garments. For Matthew and for many of the, the New Testament authors, the garments were holy works. But, but this is important. Um, Paul talks about them in Colossians. John talks about them in Revelations. Here's the deal. Three things about these garments. The garments are a gift from God. You don't weave them or make them yourself. The garments must be exchanged. We've got to exchange our works for the singular work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His work is what ushers us in with oil on our beards and our hair, with new threads, with washed feet. It's his work. It's not our work. And then we've got to put the garments on through believing in the message of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the question to you, will you come to the feast? Will you put on the king's garments? Will you come to the feast? Will you put on the king's garments? It's a staggering decision given to the insiders, given to the religious leaders. So my encouragement for for us this morning is is maybe that's you. Maybe you need to just pray and search your heart. Maybe you've been rejecting God's invitation to believe in the gospel. Um, At our church, um, we close the service um, with some announcements, but we have a prayer corner over here. If you want to pray with someone to make that decision, or if you want to talk to a friend who brought you, um, we'd love to have you respond to the invitation of the king. The last thing about um, this series is um, uh, this series has kind of been a parable as well. So Larry's got a few little, uh, um, like a little handout for you. I'd love to have you guys look at it just for a minute. Um, you can uh, share it with uh, the person next to you. The goal is to kind of look on. The, the series has been a parable even about Awakened Church. Um, We've gone through four key movements. And again, as I shared, we looked at four parables. We looked at the wheat and the tares. We looked at build bigger barns. We've looked at two sons. And then today, we've looked at the parable of the wedding feast. And a recap of those is that in the wheat and the tares, our goal is to connect with this worship service on Sunday mornings, we want to connect to Jesus Christ. And we want to help people come in and experience Jesus Christ. And so we're not going to try to figure out who's saved or not saved. Again, the parable we said, 
the good, the, the servants brought in the good and the bad. We're not going to figure out who's saved and not saved. The second thing is build. This rich man build bigger barns. What are you building on? See, as you connect with God and the gospel and his story, you've got to make a decision. Are you going to build on God and his word or not? At our church, what that looks like is, is identifying yourselves as a partner of, with our church, which all that is is simply saying, yeah, I believe in Christ and I want to help make this church my home church. We do that through partnership classes. We actually have one next week. So if you've never been to a partnership class, we've got one next week. Um, yeah, yeah. They're great, uh, awesome barbecues, some great time with uh, me and my co-pastor, Frank. Um, and we just go through some truths. Um, also, um, we've got baptisms maybe in a little bit. If you've never been baptized, I'd love to invite you to be baptized. The third thing is serve. We looked last week. As you've partnered with Jesus Christ and his gospel and his mission, as a church, we want to have you guys serve. Even if that means it's going to look messy, even if you don't want to serve at first, we're going to invite you to serve with us, grow with us. And then the last is reach. The beautiful thing about this parable was that there were faithful people who reached others. As a church, we want to be faithful to reach others. That's why we do things like saturate. That's why we do things um, like sharing the gospel on campus, mission trips. We want to invite you to do those things with us. Let me pray, and we'll close out with some announcements. Father, thank you uh, just for your truths that are hidden in parables about the king and the kingdom. Uh, we desperately need truth. We need it because we need to be found by something. And I thank you, God, that you have found us. Lord, will we be found by the King? I pray that if there's anybody who maybe that's not true for them today, that they'd they'd be willing to be found by you, to know the gospel, to hear the gospel. And Lord, I pray as a church, we would continue to reach this world and this city. Would we be faithful servants? We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.